Hello, everyone. I'm Kevin Miller, and this is The Ziegler Show, where our goal is to inspire your true performance. In this episode, controlling when you are out of control. So check this out. I asked Ziegler listeners this question. Throughout a given day, do you generally behave as you intend to? And if and when you don't, what tends to derail you? Well, as responses started pouring in, a very common thread was just people. Uh, That's what derailed folks. So I gave a follow-up question and asked, when you get upset with people, does your emotion come from fear or pride? Fear as in, you know, abandonment, rejection, loss, or pride, justice, fairness, enabling. Well, I asked Stephen and Mara Klemek to join me. They were my recent guests in show 753, where we discussed how our behavior is explained by four principles, uh, which is the message in their book, Above the Line. Well, as we went through many of the responses, what we came out with was this. What derails people most from the behavior they would wish to exemplify is lack of control. Whether it is people or circumstances, lack of control seemed to be, well, no, it was the main culprit. And so why is this? Well, listen in as Stephen and Mara definitely guide us in understanding what the root issue of that is. And friends, if you've not yet taken their heart styles indicator assessment, it's normally only available if you buy the book. But for Ziegler listeners, I asked them to make it available at no cost. So they're doing that until March 15th, 2020. 20. You can go to heartstyles.com slash Ziggler and follow the instructions. Use the access code Ziggler 2020 to get access to the indicator uh, assessment. Again, heartstyles.com slash Ziggler and use the access code Ziggler 2020. Obviously, if you hear this after that date, you can get the book to take the assessment. But Goodness, this show was just significant and very, very deep and very relevant to all of us in regards to understanding what is obviously the the thing that derails us the most from the behavior we would otherwise desire to exemplify. We'll get started with this show as soon as I share some great products and services with you. Well, so great to have you guys back here. And this was an interesting question to post. So I'll tell you, cause I, you know, I've got you guys here candidly that, right, yeah, what I did is I posted this question. I, I said, throughout a given day, do you generally behave as you intend to if, and when you don't, what tends to derail you? All right. So that was the first question. But there were some things that it didn't quite get to that I wanted to get to. So here is my follow-up question, and I actually want to start off with it because I think it's a great premise. I ask, when you get upset with people, does your emotion come from fear or pride? And I, and I prefaced it a little bit, fear you know, of abandonment, rejection, loss, or pride, justice, fairness, enabling. Again, coming right from your guys' message, I was extrapolating that. Well, a lot of people simply gave a one word response. Uh, they said fear, you know, just fear, pride, or both. And the quick stats, you know, so here my, in my informal survey, and I'm curious, I'm curious if this is indicative uh, from what you guys have seen. I got about 48% that just said fear, 25% said both, 20% said pride. How's that fall in line with, you, with what you guys have seen? Great. Well, it all comes from fear. Okay. <laughs> and uh, how we mask the fear is often through pride because ultimately we're coming from t- 
two states, really, love or fear. Yeah, it's pretty simple, really. <laughs> okay. We'll go home now. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Well, it, it, when I looked at that, I, I was thinking about, as I do with everything for myself, when I am frustrated with someone mm-hmm. and, you know, does that feeling come from a, because I like, you know, the pride aspect of, I, I feel like that's, that's un, that person's being unfair. Or if I let that go on, it'll be enabling, which is the issue we all have, I think, with grace and where we go with that, you know, and justice and fairness come into mind. And am I responding out of that? Or do I think somebody else is, or am I doing it out of fear, which I know for me relationally, that's a big part of it is the, the loss of relationship, but you're saying it's all from fear. Even our pride really is mad. It's just, that's a mask of fear. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so it's interesting, isn't it? Because, so I guess the way we try to think of it is that fear, when it's the obvious element, the passive side of it is really obviously passive. Ego-driven pride is actually um, the aggressive version of fear. Hmm. So you'll either hide and try to shrink yourself somehow to try to control the world, which is the passive self-limiting fear, or you'll try to go out there and grab the world by the jugular and have control over it before it does something to you. But that's still based on fear as well. And we find that a lot through our research and, and what we, you know, what we built the indicator on was that a lot of times fear for some people, actually we go into denial and denial usually breeds pride, ego-driven pride. So there might be a, um, you know, okay, let's say the example you gave. So there might be a, an injustice. I might perceive that someone does an injustice to me or or their behaviour is is wrong or unjust, if I get attached to that and take offence to it, then I will judge that and I become, in order for me to feel better about myself, I have to be more self-righteous, if you like, than the person. And so I then say, well, it is unjust and it's wrong and all of that, which might be true, but it's the way that I approach it that can actually turn into pride. So now, now I've, I've got my mind skewed on how all the answers come across, <laughs> but I'm going to give them to you. You guys are the coaches here and, and delve into the bigger issue as I read these. Here, here's a couple guys. Gregory responded. He says, uh, mostly fear, but he feels like it's situational between fear mm-hmm. or pride. Thomas, same thing. I think it's relative to the person. I'm fairly certain that this is a big gray area, but I feel like it's relative to the person. And there are other people that responded that way. Is that... Again, so you're saying fear is the base, but depending, maybe situational is how we manifest that fear. Sure. So let, let's just you know, go, we take it out of the, the heart styles language that we use, but yep. we're wired for fight or flight. And our reptilian brain is wired to flight, which comes from fear or fight. So... That is very normal to us. And then if you look at the acronym for fear that we put in the book, false expectations appearing real. So when I've got these false expectations, something could go wrong. What, you know, what if this happens? What if that happens? 
And we can live in these false expectations that appear real to us. Now, what we either do is we flight, we stay passive and hide from that situation, or we become aggressive. And that aggression is the ego-driven pride that doesn't serve us well. We go and try and be more competitive and more controlling and striving and perfectionistic and proving ourselves. And we use up all of this energy. And the middle letter of pride is I. So I, 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 I start to fight because something is coming from fear, false expectations appearing real. Now, given a situation, it's all contextual. So if I'm going into a meeting with my mates and everybody I get along with, I probably haven't got much fear. All of a sudden, that whole situation can change if a big boss walks in. And the big boss walks in and everyone goes into fear. They either go into child mode and they become passive. Yes, yes, boss, no boss, three bags full boss. And we become approval seeking because the boss is in the room. Or we become aggressive and we start to try and prove ourselves and we, we become over aggressive and over trying to prove our point. And all of that is driven by the fear of authority the fear of rejection, the fear that I might do something wrong, the fear that you know, I might not be recognised in front of the boss. Now, particularly if the boss comes in aggressive, yeah. <laughs> that creates a whole atmosphere. So the, the people that have commented are right. It is situational. And given a situation, we can be triggered into fear or pride just by as my, my example, just by a boss walking into the room. Um, and that, that's where it still is coming back from fear. Even though I'm in pride, it's actually coming, the root of it is fear. Yeah. I think we all have different, well, not different, some, some of us have more than one coping strategy. So what Stephen's talking about is in different situations, we'll put on a different coat yeah. to try to protect us. Mm. And that coat can either be, fear-based, self-limiting fear, so passive-based coat to protect myself, shrink myself or approval seek so that everything's okay and keep harmony, or it can be the aggressive, you know, grab the, grab the world by the throat and prove myself um, coat. And that, that's my, my thing. My below-the-line style I have to continually work on is controlling because being an entrepreneur, having my, my business and developing all of this, if I start to think something's going to go wrong, what do I do? I become controlling and try and control my world. Now, the controlling has got a good intention because I don't want things to go wrong, but, it's the, but the root of it is actually fear. So... I hope that you know, helps. Yeah, it, our it's a long explanation. No, it does, and I relate. <laughs> I relate to it. It's interesting. Uh, as I think about this, I realize that at a young age, you know, probably high school or, or something around there, when you realize life at that in that paradigm is somewhat of a popularity contest, and how one group. Yeah. I was so confident, and I would be the star of the mm -hmm. group, almost, yes. and in another one, completely mm -hmm. anonymous, maybe minimized. And, um, 
What a, yeah, what a paradigm it is. Well, on what you said here, I'm going to give you another one because there's another one that says depends, but she goes into a little more. So I want to see your, your take on it. Bonnie, she says, uh, either, and it depends. The more I learn about my triggers, the more I discover how much is really rooted in fear, even when disguised as something else like pride. I moved a ton growing up uh, about every 18 months and was always trying to make new friends. This resulted in some unhealthy habits around trying to get people to think I'm awesome to this Mm -hmm. day at 59 years old, I still discover I will do something for someone only to later get upset that they are not suitably appreciative. Yeah. Go, Bonnie, yeah. you wonderful uh, woman. Well, and she, she <laughs> goes, great. Yeah, she goes great on. awareness. Yay. And she, she goes on. She says, after a bit, I will realize that my own motives were suspect from the beginning. I'm finally getting better at sorting out when it is appropriately genuine to be helpful and when I think I'm doing the thing mm. for self-serving reasons. My aim is to do more of the former and much less of the latter. And when I'm successful at this, I don't have the emotional fear pride response at all. Absolutely. Oh, that would have, well, she's answered her own Bonnie, question. thank you for posting <laughs> that because that would have, I really hope that that speaks to a lot of people. That's beautifully put. Okay. And that's where put. Bonnie finds the love for self within her heart, knowing she's loved without getting the approval of others. I'm, o- I'm okay. I like approval, but I don't need it. Mm. And, you know, that having to move every 18 months, I've got a very common story, Bonnie, because I went to 10 schools. My stepfather moved. He was a banker and they moved you every 18 months. So maybe, you know, Bonnie, your parents were in the military or something. Mm. And if you, you've come from that background, you've got to start all over again and make new friends. And all of a sudden you can slip into that approval-seeking where we need approval. And as you grow and learn to love yourself and know that you are loved in your heart, you find the gold within, what happens then is you like people encouraging you and you like them approving of you, but you don't need it for your self-esteem and your self-worth because mm. once you need it, once again we slip into fear. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be rejected. And then all of a sudden all those approval-seeking behaviours come out it- and it costs energy. It's, it's part, I think Mm. I shared this in our earlier show that that's, this is a big part of my story. What she just talked about is, and as I came to a limit and realized I was at a wall, it was really a wall of, of bitterness and frustration Mm -hmm. and realizing I am doing this for approval. When I backed off of that and started questioning and saying, okay, am I doing this for approval uh, or am I doing this for myself out of authentic love? Am I doing it under my God that it wasn't a big hurdle. It was just a mind shift. I, I, even mm-hmm. to the point of, I mean, I think I was doing it of course, cause I needed it. But when I let go of that, I, I was, I was okay. It was almost as if it had just grown into a bad habit, a bad mm-hmm. routine. And, and how freeing is it? Oh my goodness. Cause it costs so much energy. <laughs> it like, up a lot of energy. What happens with approval and all of the below the line styles, they cost energy. Yeah. And people are tired because they're using all the mental and emotional energy to, to get that Coke. approval or to yes. control. And, uh, yes, it's just so liberating when you say, you know what, I'm okay. I'm loved and I know that I give love. And then we can start to discern the world rather than judge the world. Yeah. Judging the world's below the line, discerning what's going on around us is above the line. 
Well, if somebody responds just to that, I'm not quick enough to get to it, but here, let me give you another one. Marvin here sure. says, uh, what a great question. I would say fear. And to break that down in my close family relationships, it's the fear of not doing it right again, mm. which impedes growth because I'm constantly waiting for the other shoe to fall. Uh, which would lead to outside relationships where pride and fear combine. Pride would be a silent comparison. I'd better, I'm better than you at such and such, or my kids are turning out way better than yours. Fear would be a constant battle with wanting to be appreciated and liked by folks whose opinions really don't matter. Identifying these weaknesses really helped me take the path to healthy mental living. I mean, that goes to what we just <laughs> Wonderful. talked about. And, and even though, as yeah. I talk about my own journey and, I, you know, I didn't, I think I said flipping a switch, which is, is, is false. I did not do that. It is, this is kind of, I was just at an event on speaking, speaking from the stage and getting your sure. routine there down. And the guy talked about, uh, you know, what you're going to be doing in the first 10 times you present this the first 30 times. And he can tell when someone has done this a hundred times because it's so yeah. natural, but it's not till about then I'm not even close to that mark of doing this naturally. It is a, I have to be conscientious. I have to question myself or I'll catch myself halfway into it and realize, Oh my goodness, I'm totally doing this for approval appreciation. Uh, it is, it's going to be a while before that's a natural habit. Well, yeah, there's yes, but that's okay. The great book of ten thousand hours, exactly, yeah. doing mm. something. But Marvin's point, I mean, he, he's nailed, and this is what we did with the research, and then we came up with specific behaviours so that you could name them. So some of the descriptions he was using. So the four styles in pride are sarcastic, competitive, controlling, and striving. Mm. Now it's interesting. We've got competitive below the line because people think competitive is healthy. There's unhealthy competitive and there's healthy competitive. Yeah. So he was just describing there, based on fear of rejection, that I'll be perfect, I'll be striving for perfection, and I'll be competitive and I'll be better than somebody else. And get my, see my kids as better as well. I mean, that's yeah. another, vicariously yeah. live through the kids yeah. and make sure they're better than other kids. And the unhealthy competitive is where we have to win to feel good about ourselves. We have to win to combat that fear that I'm not good enough. Mm. And as Marvin said, you've got, you've got this underpinning fear of I'm not good enough, not smart enough, and how we combat that is by saying, well, I'm going to be more competitive, more controlling, more striving and perfectionistic than anybody. And we talk about the P's, so I'm going to prove and perform and perfect and promote myself. Yeah. And a lot of that is underpinning fear of not being good enough. So Marvin is spot on. So how do you shift that again? And for, for us to go, I am good enough. My best is good enough. I get up in the morning and I'm going to do my absolute best today and that's good enough. And my best will keep getting better. So I then start to live out of this courageous humility mm. and growth-driven love, which gets my behaviour back up above the line. And then we have healthy competitive, which we call achieving. 
You are listening to The Ziggler Show and this just enthralling discussion on what derails our behavior with Stephen and Mara Klemek. Well, next I read a comment when we tack the, tackle the issue of imposter syndrome, which I talk about so often. It's one that I always deal with. It's an, an issue that is relevant to so many people I know who are listening to this show, aspiring to more and doing more and probably succeeding more and yet still dealing with feeling like often an imposter. So we'll dive back in with this Q&A with the Clemix right after I share some great products and services with you. So you said not, you know, not being good enough and hitting on that. Um, we've got a guy, Andy here, and he just says it's fear of the imposter syndrome. That is his biggest mm-hmm. issue. That's one that we've talked about on the show a good bit, probably mm-hmm. because I, again, that's one that I have. Uh, it's a, it's a real curious one for me because even the areas where I know it's proven, there's no doubt about it. I'm good at that. I'm masterful at that. And yet I still will approach it with that imposter syndrome. I think I still do that here, even after Lord knows how many uh, shows I've done and people I've had on and uh, I, you know, the accolades and the downloads speak for themselves. And yet there's still a bit of that feeling. And, and I still wonder, you know, where is that? Why do I have it? Uh, to begin with, why, why, where did it, where did it start? What was the catalyst for that? And, uh, is there a point at when it, which it'll go away or am I just going to have to live with, realize it, wave to it, say, Hey, I know you're there. I'm going to go for it anyways. Oh, well, I, so I would say it's probably pretty old. It's been hanging around for quite a while because mm-hmm. it's pretty well embedded. So it's probably childhood stuff. Um, I would also think that um, perhaps for you, I think there's two different things trying to, because I have this as well. So I'm trying to think what, you know, for me, what I do or what I've realized. It's great, isn't it? You invent something like this and then you have to live it. <laughs> yeah. It's so annoying. <laughs> You've got no excuse. We only invented it because we're so messed up. Yeah. I, <laughs> hey, I, I, I appreciate that from the, um, gosh, I think it was the Habits show. And you guys talked about that, about one of the, the aspects of trying to live out what your message is and not be hypocrites to that. I think, uh, I think that speaks to all of us who have a message that we're sharing. Yeah, thank you. It's, yeah, we would hope so. I think, um, so getting back to that, I, I, I think there's two things. You asked, you know, why does that keep happening? I think sometimes what can happen for us is that we can acknowledge objectively when we're good at something that's a task and that task is a is almost a thing if you like and we can see it separate to us but what isn't separate to us is our self-esteem and our self-worth yeah that can't be separated out and so you have this kind of duality perhaps of what you're describing that makes a lot of sense because we might be able to objectively say yes i have become good at doing something and I can see that that's right because there's evidence to show that but deep inside my little young Mara mm-hmm. is still seeing Mara as the young Mara with all the issues and the the foibles rather than seeing who I've become so I would say to you that perhaps focusing on recognizing the man you've become not some of the parts of the man that were mm-hmm. is actually the way to look at it as well. 
I know that resonates for sure. I think there's the areas, I think it's come to my attention that there's these, if we took, I've never seen this done. Maybe you guys are aware of something, but if we looked at all the areas of adult maturity, let's say the areas Mm -hmm. of maturity that there are some that I and we uh, are very mature in, and I see this Mm -hmm. in myself. I see this in my, my family and other people, very mature and some that seem stunted for whatever reason. And of course we always want to paint the broad brush of that person is mature or is not mature or is responsible is not responsible. Yeah. And yeah. my, my, my experience is that you, know, you, you have areas where you, you do well, you have areas where you do poorly and uh, yeah, trying to figure out, trying to reconcile those, I guess. Yeah. And that's yeah. the end. Reconcile and recognize yeah. because you know, self-awareness is all being able to recognize. So one of the sayings we have in the book that we've all heard is courage is not the absence of fear. So if I know the things that drive my fear, and those things might be very, very old, then if, if, if I know that, I can then say, okay, there it is again. There's mm-hmm. that fear coming. I, I can feel it. I can see it coming. And now I'm going to be courageous with myself. Otherwise, my ego is going to take over. Now, ego, the acronym for ego is evicting the good out. Mm. So when the good and the gold and the God in my heart is evicted out, I need to feed that. I need to feed that ego. And if I'm, if I'm not recognising the courage and the love and the good that's in my heart, man, we all get trapped into this. When I'm not feeling good enough, I evict all of the good and the gold that's in my heart out and ego pride takes over. Then I've got to be bigger and better and smarter than somebody else. Well, again, it's going to keep pulling out these same threads as we go through here. Here's another one on this question. Josh, he says, I think a bit of both, but to be more specific, I've realized that the majority of my actions come from a goal of fame. He has in quotes, that may be fame to many or fame to an individual. This is something God's been working on with me lately. So there's fear of a poor name, disrespect and rejection and the pride of, and he has in quotes, I should be able to get your approval slash desire. It's a belief that I have the ability to get the result from you. I want pride, but a thought that I could mess it up. Uh, fear. Much of my uh, upsetness is basically that according to my internal narrative, I know and am following the social rules, but you're not. That's interesting. It goes back to, you commented on that before. Yeah. Yeah. Also yeah, it's, it's very, all of this fear and pride, it's very normal. It's been built into us. It's in our DNA. And most of the world operates like it. So we think it's normal. There is a a normal out there that we accept as a normal, yet there's something inside us that's going, this is is not right, there's more, and this is some of the tension. And I think what Josh is is recognising there, that we we are under this, the best of me is at, at war with the worst of me. The worst of me is at war with the best of me. And Josh and all the people, that's life. There isn't, it's not either or, there's always the end. That's why, you know, in the, in the very beginning of the book, in the introduction, we talk about we are an end. So as we're trying to become our best self and as we're realising what my authentic self is, there's also that other voice in there mm-hmm. saying you, you don't know who you are. 
what if what if you try this and you fail so we what we've developed is counterintuitive it's counterculture because unfortunately Kevin, our world out there, and look at these great comments from Marvin and Josh and Bonnie, these people, because we're all in that tension. So please give me something that helps me become my best self and a framework that can help me recognize what's going on for me. Well, your your words there, counterintuitive and counterculture. I am completely uh, or, or, or consistently reminded that that is where health generally lies. Where the yep. health, the truth of us is, you know, we're so enamored with superheroes in the movies and the media that that's the superhero opportunity with us is to not just go with the flow, be our normal, natural uh, selves, which I mean, that sounds hard because on the other side, we don't want to be performing all the time, but it is about behavioral modification, uh, yeah. And that is counterintuitive, countercultural for the most part. Well, you know what? Let, let me shift gears with that said, sure. because this gets into literal, you know, some of the behavioral issues that we have. So the back to the initial question I asked, which was this again, throughout a given day, do you generally behave as you intend to? And if, and when you don't, what tends to derail you? So that's why I decided to do that first question. So we've got this basis the discussion on fear and pride, and we'll go into this, and you guys mm-hmm. can give me your take on some of these responses. So Thomas here says, I have many distractions throughout the day. I, I have a prioritized list that has little wiggle room. Uh, it tends to work best for me. But I asked him, I said, so is it the distractions that derail you from the behavior you intend? He said, yes, no matter how small, if it's something that can pull my attention away many times, it does. And there, this is a thread that you'll hear some, some of these where people have uh, let's say an agenda, I guess, and then something derails them and they say that's when their behavior uh, falters. And I'm going to throw it at you to say, what do you see in the root is on that? <laughs> <laughs> no, let's see what Stephen thinks. Um, well, uh, the first thing that pops into my head would be, am I adhering too tightly to my agenda? Mm-hmm. And why is it so important? Now, obviously, I don't mean to, you know, demean people's work because obviously they think it's important. Um, and maybe Thomas has an incredibly, um, you know, important role that, that he's got very little time, he's very time poor. I think a lot of times we can get very attached to things. And as soon as we get our self-worth attached to something, we're in trouble. And unless I misheard, I thought I heard the word should in there in Thomas's uh, narrative. And as soon as you hear the word should or must, we have mm-hmm. the alarm bell going, mm-hmm. because those words are striving perfectionistic words, control words. So they're coping strategy words. So potentially, um, you know, if, if we are so wound tight because we, with the best intention, we want to get things done and we want to be effective and things don't have much wiggle room, then because our intention is positive, that is, I want to do things well, I want to get things right, whatever, um, for not just for myself but for the business or if, if that's happening in the workplace, the intention's good. But 
if that then attaches itself to I need to, I must do this because you're basically attaching that to fear, that immediately throws you below the line. And so your reactions are going to get triggered, your, your threshold for flexibility, for patience, all of these things goes down the gurgler and you start to react to triggers that set you off your course. Yeah. Yeah, so Thomas has, has, you know, again nailed something that we do come into life with with good intentions. And somewhere along the line something happens, and like my example earlier, the boss walks in or we get um, railroaded into not having the behaviour that that we intend. Now, Mara's got one point, which is a very good point that I'm, I'm very structured, but there's also a point where, where we need to be authentic enough to say no. We need to be authentic mm-hmm. to say my yes is my yes and my no is my no. So sometimes people overcommit to saying yes, 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 and all of a sudden their behaviour gets railroaded because they're just so stressed and so overworked. That could be approval-seeking, though, if you saying yes and you can't say no. Yeah, that's right. And then people haven't put in boundaries. So, you know, there's there's a whole lot of complexities that that come into our behaviour and that's where if we're looking at our intention versus my impression. So the three I's we talk about to help listeners is in my intention, the impression I make and the impact. So... Let's just take, for example, everybody has got good intentions. They go to work, go with their family, and we'll start that everyone has good intentions. Some people don't, but let's just say we do. Now, the impression I make with my behaviour can actually be opposite to my intention. And I had to learn this many years ago because I'm an intense person, a big, big personality. I use my body language a lot. And my team, yes. <laughs> my team used to say, your intention is to motivate us and get us all excited. Your impression that you give us is intense and the impact is it's scary. Yeah. I was, I was thinking intimidating. Yeah. 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 Intimidating. Well, there's another high. But, and, and the intention and the impression that, that we're making with our behaviour and therefore, the impact that we're making with our family, with our spouse, with our kids, with our workmates. And uh, again, that's going back to we go to we get up in the morning with good intentions, but sometimes our behaviour gets derailed. We don't give the best impression, and it makes a negative impact. Mm-hmm. Then, if I can learn to shift my behaviour shift my tone, shift my intensity. Someone taught me many years ago that when when I'm talking with a group, don't let my back leave the back of the chair because as soon as I lean forward and being a strong person, as soon as I lean forward, my energy is completely imposing in on the group. And that's a a really good tip for someone who's enthusiastic Keep your calm command, we call it. Keep your calm command by keeping your back or your body language 
within, within a, a place that the behaviour is seen as constructive and effective rather than intimidating. Well, on that word intimidating, as people hear this, uh, any of you who are feeling intimidated by wondering, oh my goodness, how am I behaving? I know I want to do this way, but you know, I'm often not uh, behaving as I, I want to. That is the point of the book. Uh, so I'm going to uh, continue to um, advocate the book above the line, which then gives you access to do the heart styles indicator, uh, which I have gone back to time and time again and uh, talked with my wife about just so you guys know, and just, man, it's, I, I'm, I was surprised at the disparity between the benchmark who I wanted mm, to be yeah. and who I tend to naturally, well, and that's not true. I was going to say who, who the benchmark of what I, of, of how I want to behave and the nature of what I feel. Now I often, uh, I, I hope I'm achieving that benchmark, but the effort that it's taking me often wears me out, which is why I tend to retreat and isolate to recover mm, from yes. the performance. <laughs> so there's the reconciliation. Well, but I, I don't want to leave. There's a couple of, th- you know, as you talked about self-worth, you even mentioned the business place. It was a great segue into uh, this question or, or this comment from Kathy Bosley. She says, when something sends me uh, down in my brainstem and I'm not using my frontal lobe, something upsetting. <laughs> happens and I'm not in a good headspace, <laughs> then I tend to have a way shorter fuse. And I asked her any somethings in particular. And she said, I own a retail store. So for me, when a customer is unhappy about something here, especially if they write about it on social media, uh, that derails me or any sort of confrontational, a confrontational event like that, which made me uh, uh, smile in a knowing way because it's the, uh, you know, the 10, 15, 25 star reviews I get in iTunes. Those are great. It's the one that's anything less. (laughs) That's what gets well on. that for the next six years. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and to one degree I do, I, I did learn early on too, to always give it some weight, pay attention. Even mm-hmm. if I think the person is just there to vent mm-hmm. and it's so, it's so funny how often not, it's not funny. It's, it's actually, um, uh, a little despairing. Oftentimes the negative comments, if you, mm-hmm. in any format online, if you look on that person's profile, that's generally what they do. They go out yeah. and give negative yeah comments. Either way though, I'm enamored uh, (laughs) at the fact of how much weight that holds more so than the, you know, 20 times amount that are the good ones. So she's talking about something I think we all most people relate to. It's the, the unhappiness. And especially I think if you're a caring person, uh, you mm-hmm. want to care for people. You truly do. And you want to uh, get that approval, that aff- affirmation from yeah. that. That's a hard one to overcome, to have the self-confidence, to you know, listen to the unhappy customer, but not take it personally. Yeah. And that's the hard thing. As Amara was talking earlier about what we call you know, attachment theory. Mm-hmm. So if, if the more passionate you are about something, and Kathy's very passionate about what she's retailing and her store and probably how it looks and all of that, and she's very attached to it emotionally. So when someone complains, it's a personal attack. Yeah. And we, we, we take that as rejection. And they might have a you know, very legitimate complaint that could help our business, but we still... So how can we let go of the attachment to it and be more objective is one of the keys of character strength. Yeah. And one of the keys, you know, we say let go. 
you know, letting go. So how do we do that and not see um, any form of criticism as re- personal rejection? We see it as an opportunity. And the first thing that you can do, you know, particularly in retail if someone complains, is the first thing you should be, the first two words that should come out of your mouth is thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. That's great because we can learn from this and that, let's see how we can help you. If you say thank you, because most people don't expect you to say thank you when you're complaining, they, 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 you, they expect defensiveness and tension. So, you know, one of the best counterintuitive things to do when someone comes and complains is to say thank you. Now, let, let, what can we do to help you? But that, that's something for Kathy that you're just so attached personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I can add something here that's slightly uh, tangential to that. Um, we do put this, we have put this in the book, uh, that what can happen when we get um, upset by something is that we have what we call the brain drain. And as, as Kathy quite rightly pointed out, her, you know, prefrontal cortex or her frontal lobes have gone mm-hmm. out the window because mm-hmm. the emotion has taken over. She's, she's right. And what actually happens to us neuropsychologically and neurophysiologically is that the, the all that area of the brain that has all the blood flow in the front, that's our analysis and our insight mechanism and all these really important things, in that moment of upset or anger or fear or whatever it is, that blood flow actually gets sucked back into the back part of the brain, not all of it, otherwise we would die. (laughs) (laughs) Just thought I'd make that clear. But a lot of it kind of gets sucked back to your fight or flight mechanism and also part of where your emotional um, brain is. And in that moment you actually can't see clearly it, you actually have um, peripheral vision loss that you don't realise it because it's so quick. It's like, you know, when we say, um, we've got that phrase, we're narrow, yeah. that person's narrow-minded or they're blinkered, uh-huh. all these incredible phrases that are actually true. Wow. So what happens is that our blood flow goes back, it points us all towards only seeing straight ahead of us because, you you know, I guess it harks back to the olden, olden days of um, man into our reptilian brain. But the, so the point of the story is to know that when if something hurts us or affects us in some negative way, the best thing we can do, which is really counterintuitive and stupidly um, simple, is actually just stop, take a couple of breaths. And what that's actually doing is it's reoxygenating the blood, mm. which allows it to start to flow back into the frontal area of your brain and starts to diffuse all of that tension and physical adrenaline that's come um, coming through your body, calms you down, and it opens up all of that frontal area that allows you to have clarity, it allows you to have insight into the situation, it allows you to have um, a bit of analysis and, and a bit of logic. So as simple as that is, mm. we always say S plus T equals B, stop, breathe. <laughs> Think about it and then behave. Yeah. And even a simple thing like that, um, you don't have to try to analyse what you're feeling, but even just just physically stopping and just taking a couple of breaths 
a lot of times you don't people don't even need to know you don't have to make a big performance of it you know excuse me a moment while I just take a few deep breaths <laughs> while I, you know just hold hold yeah. your horses but you can just do that move your yeah. body posture a little bit take a couple of breaths and in that it should actually start to calm down some of that all of that adrenaline and um, the blood flow starts to go back into the good parts of that brain that we need at the time so yeah. something as simple as that can help that is the breathing tremendous good yeah <laughs> well breathing shifts the brain and then if we can shift the heart th- this is where we're connecting these, time, these two to things choose. living and leading with heart and when you've got the brain drain happening you're just tension and you know just just think of you know the, the intense moments of fellowship that you've had with your wife. <laughs> I, I was going to go there, yeah. <laughs> well, maybe that's just us. <laughs> no, well, it's it, 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 it it two of us. us. And it's so intense. It started off, where are the car keys? You know, you've got them, I've got them, and all of a sudden the brain drain's kicked uh-huh. in, we're stressing out, no one's thinking. Everyone's blaming. You know, everyone starts pointing <laughs> the finger. All you need to do, or if you in the moment, if you can, is to stop and to breathe. Yeah. And that tells your brain, now let's shift my heart back yeah. to love. Yeah. That's and that's how we get back above the line. It's, thank you for the science lesson on uh, physiology. No, it's incredible. It's yeah, it's so interesting how we've heard so many many things narrow-minded and stop and take a breath, and you just gave us the literal uh, yeah, it, there's the actually a, a physiological reason for it. It's just most of us don't realize that. <laughs> that is tremendous. That's a, I, I, that's a nugget to pull out right there from the show. <laughs> you know, you mentioned just as the, this aspect of responding to people, and you said uh, being objective. Object, it, it is a mm-hmm. sign of character strength. That is something that I was uh, fortunate enough to witness amongst I'm going to say the word leaders, um, influencers, because mm-hmm. I've seen people who are just famous celebrities who this, they don't embody this. They can be derailed, but those who are influencing others, giving a message, expressing an opinion, a perspective, which you guys are, I do. Uh, when you do that, you are going to get criticism. And I saw mentors in that who learn to have peace in it, but the good ones, it wasn't indifference. Cause I saw that happen too, where there's just complete indifference. And I was thankfully taught against that as well, but that they, they learned a peace amongst it, that objectivity, that character strength, because they had to, because what I realized is if you are going to be on a platform, you are mm-hmm. going to get criticized sometimes rightly so sometimes not but i appreciated that i've appreciated that in me because it has forced that to where now when i see it of course now i'm going to do better i'm going to take a deep breath (laughs) uh but uh but that objectivity there's it's such a big aspect of our self-image of our self-confidence and what a great red flag just to realize if we're not being able to do that the weakness is in ourselves and our own yeah well i don't know a better word than self-confidence uh, mm-hmm. to that degree yeah i think that there's that the point that um that was made those who have ears that are ready to hear let mm-hmm. them hear now some people are not ready to hear a message you know like ours and and if you can live with that you, you go oh, that, that's okay i can just i can just let that go um i don't i don't need to convince every single person 
And then if someone gives you some objective feedback, it's good to evaluate that. Then I love that other saying, what other people think of me is none of my business. Yeah. yeah a, it does come a, a, there point. does come a point yeah. where, where you just got to go, you know what, I'll just let it go. Yeah. I'm open to learn. I'm humble to try and learn. But if a person's just stuck on something, you just I'm just going to let it go. What, what they think of me is none of my business. Their ears are not ready to hear. That's fine. Don't get bitter and twisted, mean and nasty, Batman. Don't 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 get all that. Just go. Just let it go. And um, I think it's a beautiful way of not getting so caught up in all of the object, all of the objective opinions that come our way. Yeah. Well, again, that's one near and dear to my heart because it's uh, <laughs> well, you guys have me thinking, of course, differently. Uh, some of, of what's coming out of fear, I perceive that so much came out of my intent to love and care well. And if I got that negative response, I felt responsible. Uh, you, you know what? On that note, because you've talked about control, let me read one that just goes right in that Jeff Bayless here. He says, what typically derails me is something out of my control. I've learned mm-hmm. I can't control the environment, only how I react. I think most people would divide, define a specific item that derails them is people. Again, the key is knowing you can't control their actions. You control your reaction. A moment of patience can't avoid years of pain. Mm. Beautiful. 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 Well said, Jeff. Well said. And that, that is not something that I naturally came to. I did feel responsible for people's actions. I, I, I achieved, achieved, that's a bad word. I, I ended up in uh, a place of burnout because mm. of just that, of being mm. involved with people and probably filling my affirmations and approvals through them yeah. and feeling responsible for the actions they did or did not take. Of course it was unsustainable. Uh, and, uh, and I, uh, achieved, yeah, it resulted in an area of burnout just for that. So back to, uh, control. And here's a little bit of a question too, on this aspect of control, cause it's come up more mm-hmm. as we know that uh, I'm going to say cu- culturally, but just in, in society in general, we are busier than ever. We are more hurried and harried than ever. We have fuller (laughs) schedules than ever, even if that schedule involves an hour a day scrolling through Facebook. Either way, we fill up the time and we don't have any margin. Is that exacerbating the need for and the the volatility of control or lack thereof? Yeah, it's a good question. You ask great questions. (laughs) Thank you. I, I just, it's just, I, you know, of course I'm, I'm taking in so much content from people yeah. I'm, I'm studying right now on the busyness, the hurriedness of that, mm. but I hadn't thought about that. Is it exacerbating our mm. need for control or our frustration uh, with trying to maintain it or not? And, and in so much of our lives where we can't have it. Yeah. I, I think control is a human condition. We, we feel, we feel well, the need for control. Yeah, we, and I don't think the older you get, the more of a control freak you become because you you, you don't want your world upset because you've found a routine and you've got yourself in a nice little place. And we don't want anything to come out of out of left field. Um, and you know, you look at my parents and and and, and that you, you just get into a place sometimes where we just don't know how to live with the flow. Mm-hmm. It, now, we are busier than ever. 
Uh, I agree. But before we had internet, and unfortunately I'm old enough to know what it was like. like before the internet. <laughs> yeah. We still filled our lives with other things. So yeah. we'd have magazine after magazine instead of Facebook and Facebook. And we'd, we'd spend hours on We had to have two telephone lines in our home. Because the kids would just be on the phone all the all the time oh, and then they instead had, of on we, Facebook. We yeah. used to have dial-up. Do you remember that? I do. Dial-up. Of course I do. And I, and then, <laughs> this is before internet. You had two phone lines. So Yeah, that's true. Uh, so we, what we like to do is we try to try and fill our lives with, because there's so much white noise out there, and, and we do have this tendency to fill our lives with lots of activity um, no matter where we are. And I think it takes a discipline uh, just to be able to find times of meditation, times of doing nothing, yeah. and in in that we start to let go of control. So, yes, I do think in our crazy busy worlds that we're in, we are trying to control probably more than we used to, but I think control, trying to control our lives has been around for a long time. Yeah. What comes to my mind as you were asking that question was the the um, the example of the those wonderful Chinese acrobats that spin the plates yeah. and the long poles, and I think you know it just sort of stands to logic, doesn't it? That it, the more plates you 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 have spinning on those bamboo poles, the more exponentially you're going to have to run between them. And you're going to have to get faster at running between them in order to keep them all spinning. And in order to do that, that's going to cause, you know, if I get, get medical again, it's going to cause adrenaline through your system, which causes stress. So the more that we have going on in our life, the more we then have to try to control, the more we have adrenaline coming in, the more stress we have. And it just exponentially continually builds on itself. So no wonder our threshold for patience is decreased and mm-hmm you know, our, our listening capacity is decreased because we're so busy focusing on what we're trying to keep together and controlling that there's no space for anything else. And that, that does enamor me. It really does with, even if you just look at the daily routine, that first mm. to ask somebody, which we generally are in the self-improvement arena, asking somebody to change something, to change the routine uh, is it feels like it's becoming more monumental all the time just to make a change mm-hmm. in the routine. Uh, it, go ahead. You, you got something? Yeah, I was just going to say, because yeah. there's something Stephen said in yeah. perhaps to what you're saying, is I think what we, the in the olden days, <laughs> when we were young once, um, I thought that, and I might be wrong here, this is just my my opinion, but I thought that actually things were a lot more sequential Okay. Stephen, was, you gave the example, we had all these magazines and we read books and watched TV, but rarely, you didn't actually do it at the same time. Most people, anyway, I don't know, I didn't. So therefore it must be true if I didn't. That means everyone did. Um, no. Well, we know that propensity to, quote, multitask, <laughs> yeah, which is now, just this attention diversion everywhere. Yeah. That's right. It, it is absolutely. But now we're, we live in a world where you actually can multitask attention. Years ago, yes, you might have been busy, but it was a different kind of busy because it had to be sequential. You couldn't um, be on, you know, two mobile phones and you're, you know, on WhatsApp, Mm. FaceTime video at the same time and watching television while you're cooking. 
at, all at the same time. Whereas, you know, years ago, you would have been doing one of those things or maybe two if you had a phone that didn't have a cord. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I do think that our world has, because of the technology in it too, it's um, everything's becoming so much more immediate and it's 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 we are being, it's almost expected to um, split our attention through all sorts of, in all sorts of places and that that's not, I don't think, necessarily a healthy thing. So if you can drop, I mean, what we practice actually is as simple as it is, is not going as soon as you get up checking your emails. Yeah. <laughs> we are not that important yeah. no, no, <laughs> as much as no we think we are sometimes. No telephone in the bedroom. Yeah. No, that's yeah. definitely. I call it Satan in your pocket. <laughs> yeah, yeah, agreed. It's just like so, you know, we've got so many tips on handling the, the phone, yeah. uh, particularly when you come home. But to Jeff's point, how do we let go of control? And, you know, I think that there's this point that we talk about below the line, above the line, but there's something beyond the line. And that beyond the line is faith or spirituality or just going, you know, like I'm not going to try and control everything. And I'm just going to have faith in something bigger than me that all things work together for good. And for you know your listeners that, that we we uh, in a world that says you've got to compete, you've got to be better than somebody else. If you you know it's incredible pressure on our young people today. Yeah. Mm. And I just like to you know I suppose encourage people to how we let go of that control and we we live above the line, but there's also part of our hearts and our minds to live beyond the line. That is the thread. I did not conceptualize until now of the responses. I could keep going. There's uh, pages of pages of responses, but as you have both talked through this, the foundation of all of them seems to be primarily control. When something doesn't go out of control, when my routine is messed up, when my agenda is messed up, when my need for uh, approval, affirmation is is interrupted these things that i can't control are the primary things it's interesting because i reviewed these and i didn't pull that out but it's through talking with you that i have and yeah it brings me back to that aspect of being objective having character strength as you talk about and uh well gosh i'm I'm a little enamored with it right now yeah control if that's the I did the survey on how many people put, you know, picked fear, pride, or, or both. But on this, to go through and do a, uh, gosh, just an audit of the responses, mm-hmm. I think they all come back to control. You know, and I and I read the, of course, I read the book. I did the did the uh, the, the heart styles indicator, and I'm going to go back and look at my results with that in mind. How much <laughs> of this has to do with my desire for? control. And yet as I mature, I realize there's so much less mm-hmm. that I, that, that I can control than I really think mm. I can. Sure. That's a healthy thought. And it's, it's a, a journey. Cause it as, a as journey. I said, like I'm, as you get older and you start to get your routine, another type of control comes on to you. I don't want anything to change. And I, I look at this with older people that they have a different type of control that comes over them because we, we feel safe when we're in control. Sure. And 
we feel secure, but it's a false security. The, you know, the, the, the real security is being able to go with the flow, being my authentic self, loving the world, and just seeing how I can continue to make a difference because it's not about me. It's about what I do to make a difference. And that's a big shift when I realise there's that great book called The Purpose Driven Life. The first sentence in it says it's not about you. Mm. And our purpose in life, when you start to get to a point where it's actually not about you, it's how you make a difference. Whether you're the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, when you've got people out there and you can make a difference to the planet, man, you start to shift your need for control. And as soon as fear comes in, <laughs> ah, <laughs> it just grabs you by the neck. That may be, you may have just spoken what I titled this uh, around, at least if I don't use it directly, control is a false sense, uh, a false security is a false security. Mm -hmm. I I literally, I'm going to go back and look at my indicator (laughs) and and look at how much of it has to do with control. I know I, I I am aware conscious that that is something I like to have and I I pattern my life around being able to have control, being an entrepreneur uh, mm-hmm. and, and such things. Um, oh, I did want to point out, you, you mentioned the purpose driven life folks. If you don't know that book, it's one of the best selling self-help books. I think of all time at this point, it's by, it is, Rick, yeah. by Rick Warren. His first one might've been, I don't know if it's first second, the purpose driven church, huh. but then uh, the purpose driven life, tremendous, tremendous book. Gosh, it actually reminds me. I've never, I've never sought to have him on the show. He would be a great, uh, a great mm, fit it would be fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it's like 25 million copies have been sold, I think, and I think so. Purpose driven life. <clears throat> well, speaking of books sold, uh, I, I I gotta say I'm enthused to see you guys. You seem like you're everywhere uh, right now. <laughs> that, the, that the book above the line is doing well. Uh, thank you again for being with me, giving me a, a, another show here together because this one opened up another. Uh, revelation, I think, as far as control. And I did not intend. That's why I appreciate these. And I, again, thank everyone who responded. I wish I could get to all of the responses, but man, that was, that is telling that that's what the intro of this will be is that out of this, out of the responses to these questions, we came into this thread of control and how it seems to be the primary ingredient that derails us from the behavior that we would uh, we would choose to have, and I'll say going back to the your heart styles indicator, that's my benchmark uh, right there. It's the things that, that derail uh, my intent that tend to derail yeah, my behavior. Thank you. Thank you for doing what you do to bring this message to us. Thanks for giving your time to yeah, me for the show. Again. Pleasure. Yeah, yes. thank you, Kevin. It's always absolutely. a great pleasure yeah. speaking thank to you. you. Yeah. Well, friends, I'm sure this has you thinking about, of course, your own behavior as, as it is me. I mean, what most threatens to derail your behavior and how much do you struggle with control or lack thereof? This is just highly valuable. It's an incredible place of awareness for us all. My thanks again to everyone who responded with comments to the Facebook question. Of course, anybody can join us there. I invite you to just find me on Facebook at Agent K Miller. My thanks again to everyone who responded with comments. Uh, it's just it's just such a gift. Big thanks 
to Stephen and Mara Klemek for being with us again. Remember, until March 15th, 2020, you can take the Heart Styles Indicator Assessment for free without buying the Klemek's book above the line, though I'd encourage you to get the book. But you can go to heartstyles.com slash Ziggler, follow the instructions, use the access code Ziggler2020. Well, coming up in episode 761, success doesn't happen by accident. Well, we would all agree to that statement, right? Success doesn't happen by accident. But the reality is most of us subconsciously feel "Eh, it's either going to happen or not. Our culture today takes really less responsibility than ever for the realities of life. Chronic illness and disease is on a radically high growth curve. And while we know most of it is a result of poor, poor lifestyle choices, really the average person believes it's genetics and just the luck of the draw. And that's what the media showcases as well, but it's not true. Uh, and I think you know better, which is why you're here listening to The Ziggler Show. Well, in this show, I bring you again, Howard Partridge. He was my guest in show 759, where we discuss why we do and don't implement. Uh, Howard came from a, a poverty-stricken family with seven kids. He was kicked out at 18. And in this show, you're going to hear him tell more of his story and how he simply worked hard. He worked hard and he worked a lot. And today he's a self-acclaimed beach bum. And while he still works a lot, it's out of joy in his work and providing great employment for others as he no longer needs to work for his own personal income. But this is our habits show. We're going to walk through the seven spokes on the Ziggler Wheel of Life with Howard. I think you'll gain a lot uh, by hearing how he attained the lifestyle he adored and the abundance to bless so many people. Well, till then, folks, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.